0: Sales Tuners, episode 18, Susan Lorkovic-Zuzik, Vice President of Sales for Ad Tech at Oracle Marketing Cloud.
1: I brought it way back to being a little girl selling Girl Guide cookies door to door as my dad waited in the car. And he, he was like, you are selling these cookies. I am not selling them for you. I'm not gonna bring them to work and sell a whole bunch. You're gonna go and you're gonna learn and you're gonna knock on people's doors and you're gonna ask them to buy your cookies
0: this is sales tuners with jim brown the only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors attitudes and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from 1 million to more than 10 million dollars in just two years all i do is win It's time. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Winston Churchill, who said, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Welcome to 2017, Sales Sooners. I hope you all enjoyed a bit of downtime, but more importantly, I hope you recharge those batteries and are ready to get after it in the new year. Today, I'm joined by one of the most recommended guests to date, Susan lorkovic zuzic vice president of sales for ad tech at Oracle Marketing Cloud. Susan has held pretty much every position you could in sales and has been named sales rep of the year on three different occasions, once by delivering 410% of quota. Originally from Toronto, Canada, she told me she's also a citizen of Croatia and speaks the language fluently. On a personal note, when Compendium, the company I ran sales for, was acquired by Oracle back in 2013, Susan was the first person to reach out to me to see how we could work together. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Octave for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V dot com. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salessooners.com slash Zuzik. But now, let's get to the conversation where Susan breaks down the consultative approach she's had to take after Oracle has acquired 10 different products over the last four years.
1: You're probably familiar with the marketing cloud. Over the the last four years, we've brought in 10 different um, products and really created a complete solution for the CMO. And so what what we do today in our process is I'll spend a lot of time with a CMO or a head of digital and take a look at what their marketing stack is, what are their revenue goals, what are some of the things that they're actually trying to accomplish when they go to market or maybe it's uh, retention or maybe it's new sales or maybe it's a branding initiative and really trying to figure out what it is that, that they're focused on on and then see if they have the right technology infrastructure to do that you know sometimes we can you know service all of it sometimes it makes sense for us to just take pieces and parts of it but that's part of kind of that strategic oversight and um you know at the end of the day it's really you know you want to make sure that you go in with more of that consultative approach because i don't want to ever have to sell something to someone that wouldn't give them value right it's all about generating value for them. And so it's it's figuring out where are those gaps that we can help accelerate their business. And so um, that's really kind of how we would engage at that level. And obviously, there's many presentations and demos and analyses that go into that. But it really starts with how do we understand their business and what they're trying to accomplish? Um, Because we've got a, a whole bag of solutions that we can pick from. And it's just a matter of what makes the most sense for that customer.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Susan, I I read some of your uh, accolades, obviously, in, in the bio and in the intro. But when you sit back and think about it, what has led to your success? And, you know, those, those multiple uh, presidents clubs and multiple top reps and, you know, the 410% quota. I, I know you were a whale hunter. You were going after the big deal. So what has led to your success? You
1: know, I think. You know, it, it, when you when you said, hey, let's do this podcast, it really made me think about what that was. And, and I think when I really drill down to it, it's I've always been um, it, it really obsessed with people, right? And understanding what makes them tick, what makes them do the things the way they are, and then also just socially being around people. And one of the first sales jobs that I had, they actually trained us on uh, the DISC profile. And, you know, for those people that don't know what DISC is, it's it's essentially understanding um, there's like four different categories that people may fall under and which characteristic in DISC do people most relate to? Are they more of a dominant ind- individual? Are they more influential? Are they more you know, steady or compliant? And so really that's helped me understand the people that I sell to and be able to sell to them the way they wanna buy. Because you use the same approach with everyone, you're, you're either people are going to love you, people are either going to hate you, or people are just not going to feel anything, because everybody's different, right? And it's not going to move them the same way. And whether you sell a product service or whatever, you're still selling to a person. And so if you can understand people, you can sell them anything, really. And I think, I think I have a really good understanding of that. And I've used the disc, even when it's not practiced, you know, publicly at a company, I've still used it in my career. And it's it's helped me tremendously as I as I've sold different products throughout the
0: years. Give me some examples of that, Susan. What are you on the disc profile, and and how do you use that to sell to the other profiles, maybe differently?
1: Yeah, um, great question. So I'm a I'm a high D and I. My I is a little higher than my D. So what does that mean? Um, so high D's. They're very, you know, facts driven to the point. Usually, a lot of executives are D's. You can tell when you get a D on the phone because they're going to be very like, hey, great. Do you have what I asked you for last time? What's next? What are the steps? Do you have the figures we talked about? They're very straight to the point and let 's get things moving right you're not really going to jump on the phone with the d and say, "Oh, hey, how are you?" Oh, you know, yeah, let me send you that recipe we talked about last time because you probably would have never talked about one in the first place <laughs>
0: sure. right they're
1: they're very they're very to the point, but the difference is you know if if you go at the approach and you are you are the same type of um, dominant style as they have. Then all of a sudden they respect you and they're like, "Huh, this is someone that I can do business with. And, you know, they have even the way they talk and verbally or the way they will leave their voicemail be very short and to the point. So you can pick up on that trait very, very quickly. Um, Like as an example, a contrast would be a high I, which I am, I think, more in my personal life. I'm a lot higher of an I. And at work, I tone it down a little bit because I want to be more of a listener at work as opposed to a talker eyes love to talk about themselves to people about anything really they're probably the best person you want on a discovery call because they'll tell you everything you need to know to be able to get them the solution they need and so with that you know a high eye you really want to be able to you know ask them about what they did on the weekend and you know, personally how they feel about things. They're very they're very much that personality. And so if you can sell to those people in very different ways, you're gonna have a successful bond with those individuals, even even though maybe your style's changing each time. It's just you're selling to them the way they feel comfortable buying, if that makes sense.
0: It totally does it's kind of I mean it's taking bonding and rapport to what I believe is like the real level you know of of how you get that uh, that relationship going, and it's just by getting them to understand and communicate with you the way they want to be communicated with
1: yeah exactly, and you know I think the the interesting part is when I learned how to do this, it was over the phone, right, and I think if you can sell over the phone and you can apply this methodology and you could do it effectively. I think once you get into field sales or once you get face-to-face, it's going to be so much easier because you can then read people's verbal cues and visual and all that. But on the phone, if you can master that and you can make and create these bonds, then you know your sales can really soar. And a lot of the, the stuff I learned was really early on when I was just doing inside sales as a rep at the time. And it all transferred in. When I moved to the field, it was like, oh, wow, this is easy. These in-person meetings, the phone, you really have to kind of listen for what kind of person they were. Um,
0: I love so. it. I love it. So now, Susan, um, I would assume you haven't always been as good as you are today and, and as successful as you are. So so let's go way back. And, and how did you get into sales? You talked about how at your first job, you, you started to learn disk, but how did you even get into sales to begin with?
1: <laughs> well, it's a it's a great question and when I think about it, um I brought it way back to being a little girl selling Girl Guide cookies door to door as my dad waited in the car and he he was like you are selling these cookies, I am not selling them for you. I'm not going to bring them to work and sell a whole bunch. You're going to go and you're going to learn and you're going to knock on people's doors and you're going to ask them to buy your cookies. And I just remember it was so uncomfortable and I didn't want to do it. And, you know, people were not always nice when, you know, you knock on their door around dinner time. But what I learned really early on was that, you know, for every for every knock on the door that didn't go well, there was, you know, every few doors somebody would be really nice about it. Or somebody would buy something. And then I realized that that rejection wasn't the end of the world and that you could keep going and that it was actually a really long block and a really big neighborhood, right? And so you could you could just keep going and eventually somebody would buy the cookies. And, you know, I ended up actually, you know, selling the most cookies as a little girl, you know, funny little things that you think of. But I think my dad was trying to teach me, don't worry, it's okay if people say, know or they're not interested you just have to keep going and don't take it personally um i think it was really powerful to learn that as a kid
0: absolutely um, it um, is <laughs> so, and, yeah. and so as you took the the, the cookies lessons into uh, the professional world what were some of the i guess challenges or obstacles that you had to start to overcome uh to to have those early successes in your career
1: yeah so you know i think i think the tough part for any person in sales is you know, keeping, you know, keeping that energy up, even when things might not be going your way, right? Like, you know, building pipeline and prospecting, and, you know, trying to to, to get people to be engaged with what you're selling. It's not easy, right? You know, sometimes it is if it, you click with someone, but it's really trying to figure out what your what works for you, and how you can get it going. And I remember when I started at my my first job, it was like, pure commission, pure cold calling people, you know, across the world. And, and it was people buying franchises. So they could be mean to you, right? They could literally hang up on you and be like, why are you calling me? I want to open up a McDonald's. I don't want to open up your franchise. Right. And I remember, I remember just being like, it doesn't matter. Look at how big this database is. Right. Like there are just so many people. If I can just reach like, the one or 2% of them and convert that, I will make the money I need to, to hit my goals. And then, you know, after you kind of go over that mental fear and you, you just go in with that energy and remember you're talking to people, it, it makes things so much easier on you and it becomes second nature. And then you can pick up the phone and you can talk to anybody. And you know, for reps like today, I, I have you know my reps. I don't do as much prospecting as I used to. It's more maybe outreach to my network or to you know to help um, uh, get into opportunities originally through an executive connection or, or things like that. But I, I always encourage my reps: don't be afraid of the phone. You know, there nothing will ever beat that connection, that face, to, that um, that interaction that you'll have, other than you know face to face at like a event or something. But I think it's just staying positive, even when things aren't going your way, is is probably the the thing that's most challenging. I, I think not for me because I've over time I've really just gotten used to okay, don't worry, keep going. It's kind of like that sports mentality. But I think some people, it's really a roller coaster, and it's it's very difficult for them to stay in that good mind frame.
0: Susan, that's awesome, and you started to allude to where I wanted to go i kind of said it you are a whale hunter right you were getting the biggest company names there was um you know when when i was watching you at at oracle how were you getting into such large enterprises um can you talk about that a little bit
1: yeah no um it was it's it's fun i i will say was but we still do it so (laughs) yeah um what what i think the difference is you know from from small deals or big deals, right? The reality is they all take just as as much work, right? Sometimes small customers can be even more um, demanding and ask more time than large customers, but obviously you get bigger payoff from the whales. But the way you have to approach a large account is there isn't just one buyer, right? You can't be single-threaded. And there's usually many different influencers, especially like for us, we sell into marketing departments. Right. So, you know, if we're dealing with a multi-billion dollar company or even a 500,000, you know, size enterprise, there are multiple buyers. And some of them are not necessarily who you think they would be. Right. So if we only go in and know a few of the marketers, we're, we're screwed because what about I.T.? What about finance? What about sales? Because our solutions can impact everyone. And so what we would do is we would map out the organization and understand who the players are and understand it better than anybody else in, in the market. Cause I've talked to my competitors on deals where we've competed head to head and they've lost. And they're like, we thought we had it. Like, what, what did you do? I'm like, yeah, but you didn't have this guy. Right. And he, he, he actually was really important, but no one knew, you know? So it's, understanding and mapping out the organization and then spending time not i couldn't personally spend time with all of them so it's trying to figure out who in my organization would be a good fit and a good match for those people in in the other organization we're selling to right so if there's um you know say the chief financial officer is a huge component of you know uh approving the budget and this is something that you know they've never done before and it's a big deal it's a big amount of money well who could we align with him that's going to make him feel comfortable about that that is like him again right so he can respect them and understand them and that'll help us with the deal and then you look around your organization who do you know and they don't always have a sales title right they could just be someone else in your org that that you think you can connect them to and, and it helps you know, so it's it's mapping out who they are, finding relevant connections and then, you know, getting sometimes it's getting those people to speak. Sometimes it's getting those people to connect. You know, I think I even pulled you in when you got pulled into to Oracle at some point when we were selling um, the Compendium solution. Right. So it's it's when you don't know these organized people, you've got to find them. They're out there. Um, if it's a smaller company, it's easier. At Eloqua, I knew exactly who I could use and when for certain parts of the deal. When it was at Oracle, you know, it, sometimes I find new people that I never even thought, you know, had a role or a function or could help, but they're there and they can they can assist in the deal. Because large deals, they actually require. A lot of different people to touch this internally and externally to happen, because no one's going to go spend a couple million dollars um, unless, you know, everybody, everybody's kind of fingerprints are on the gun, right? Nobody wants to kind of sign up for that unless there's consensus. Um, And so, you know, selling to that and then selling high, right? Getting, Getting to the executive level right away, not starting at the bottom, start at the top. And it might be harder, but start at the top because if you get pushed down, it's a lot easier to go back up than to to start at the bottom and never get up because you never get, you know, you never get that push or they're nervous.
0: So, Susan, I, I this makes a lot of sense. I'm sitting here taking a ton of notes. Um, and this is just great. Um you, you talked about how you map out the organization. You are looking for people on their team and, and, and looking for ways to find, to connect them to people on your team so that maybe they can show, uh, share relevant experiences and things like that. Prior to us actually jumping into our conversation, our, our interview, you talked to me and you told me you don't hire lone wolves. And I think with this mapping of the organization, it's starting to make sense, but maybe can, can you just tell me for, you know, for the audience, like, why don't you hire lone wolves on your team?
1: Yeah, well, well, you know, when you even say lone wolf, it doesn't sound very good. <laughs> it's um, it sales is a, a team sport, right? I think you really need somebody that when you're looking to build a team, you need somebody that's going to collaborate to be able to share their knowledge and to be able to work with other people because you want them to be able to close these larger deals. And, and you called it right. If that person's going to need to pull on resources within be able to maybe learn from their peers um, or maybe even share what they've done that's what helps grow deals and scale an organization because if I just have somebody off in the corner doing their own thing they, they'll pro- there are some lone wolves, I guess that can do a pretty good job but it's just it's just going to be that channel it's never going to get um, it's never going to get the scale across the organization that you need. And when I look at more of the, the types of people I want, it's it's the culture that you drive is collaboration, teamwork, inclusiveness, right? And these are the types of people that can lead a large, complex transaction because they're they're used to working with many other people. They're used to trusting other people to take pieces of the sale on. Um, whereas sometimes, you know, a lone wolf wants to just do everything on their own and, and really not not involve others
0: so i want to ask and again i know you have held literally every role there could be in sales from inside sales field sales smb enterprise and you know now you lead a huge sales team talk to me about the role that coaching plays uh inside of of a a well-performing sales organization
1: coaching's huge um and, and i think you know you can you can coach your, you know, the, the top performers, even they need, you know, insight and it's a little different than what the low performers need. But I think coaching is huge. And then enabling your team to also coach each other is, is huge. And it allows you to scale because as a leader, the more people you have, it's the harder it is. And then you're pulled in more directions, right? And there's only so many hours in a day. And so what I like to do is, um, Spend time with folks um, every week, make some time for them. Obviously, if there's active deals and things like that, you know, I have uh, open door policy always available on the phone and things like that, because sometimes, you know, reps will after, you know, they've had the experience a few times, they'll already know what to do. Sometimes people just want to hash it out, or maybe there's something that they're not seeing because they're so in the weeds that they're they've missed. And you know, literally there's been many moments where even seasoned reps that have been, you know, selling for twenty years will get on the phone, we'll chat and you know, they'll be like, Well, here's what we're thinking, here's what's going on and and you know, there'll be like two things that we get out of the call that completely shape and change the way the sales cycle goes going forward. So I think coaching is incredibly important and then also trying to figure out what motivates your sales team. You know, it's it's I think a lot of people Think, oh, salespeople, motivated, money. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. It's all about the coin, and that's not necessarily true for everyone. You know, for some people, it's recognition. For um, other people, it's actually uh, being known as a, a thought leader or helping. Or maybe they like to be a coach. Maybe they want to grow and lead, right? And so, I think part of it is coaching them on what they're doing in the deals but another part of it is helping them in their careers and trying to figure out what it is that they want to do and and helping them get there cuz that's going to create a culture of well wow like if this isn't just a job like my my vp actually cares about my success and my future and you know it's really hard to fake this you you either really care or you don't so if you know if you're a sales leader and you actually you know this is not something you care about then obviously it's going to be hard for you to focus on but, you know, this is something that it's been really part of just for myself. Like, I really enjoy watching my people grow and achieve things that they've never been able to before or that they thought was out of reach. Or, you know, I've had reps say, wow, I'm making more money than I ever thought was possible. And, you know, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's really fun, you know. And those are the types of things that I find really rewarding. And I think even I love coaching. I learn from them. So I think, it's, I think it's one of those things you constantly have to be doing. And I don't think anybody is ever at a point where they know everything. And if you think you know everything, you should just you know, rip everything up and start from scratch because something's wrong because you should never stop learning. And uh, I think coaching is a great opportunity for that.
0: It makes complete sense. And so continuing around that concept of motivations, right, and understanding what motivates each person, what do you think it is, Susan, that, that holds people back, holds salespeople back, from hitting their goals?
1: There is quite a few things I would say that hold people back. But I think number, like the the first thing is they don't have their own sales process, right? They, they follow and, and for, you know, um, my phrase that I always say is they, they chase tennis balls right? They get on with a client and they just do meetings just to do them. They'll, oh, we had another demo. We had another call. But it's like, okay, well, so what happens next, right? Like if you do X, Y, Z, what's the end result? And I think the reps that have a clear process of, okay, hey, Mr. Prospect, today we're going to walk through um, uh, the discovery. We're going to walk through an ROI. And then we're going to do, if that works well, we'll go to a demo. And if that feels good for you, the next stage is this. And then if that feels good, we're going to create um, a proposal that you'll walk through. And if you feel good about the proposal, here's the paperwork that you'll get. The process takes around this amount of time. Mr. Prospect, does this make sense? Is this something that you're willing to take on with us? And obviously there's gates at each stage, but it's like the reps that can lay it out and make it easy for their prospects to buy from them. Those are the ones that, that hit it. It's the ones that are always like, oh, well, they, they want a demo tomorrow. Or, oh, yeah, but they just want this one more meeting. Okay, but why, right? What are you going to accomplish? And what other gates are there um, in the process? Because they haven't defined it. that? Does that
0: make sense? It it totally does. I've seen that. What what do you think it is? I mean, um, you use this concept of chasing tennis balls, and and oddly enough, I've I've heard that and used that myself before. What do you think it is about sales reps, though, that they're just willing to chase the tennis balls?
1: Well, I think there's there's this natural, like, you know, the customer is always right mentality. Like, at the end of the day, you know, uh, salespeople want to please their customers, right? And so I think instead of asking, the questions that they're afraid to hear the answers to, right? Because maybe they could blow up their deal or, you know, it could sidetrack them or maybe it won't come in this quarter if they ask the tough questions. Instead, they say, okay, well, yeah, they just want this one thing. I could just do it. And they're, they're maybe more like the eternal optimist, like, oh, it'll all be okay. I'll just keep doing this and, and things will happen as they happen. Whereas I think, Where I look, I look at my team, and I think about what's always made me successful, um, as in my roles, you know, in leadership as well as a rep, is actually being kind of paranoid, right? And always not always focusing on what's going right and all of the little things that, that, oh, they want another meeting, that's a good sign. You know, I would be a little more paranoid and think, what What am I not focusing on that could go wrong? Right? What's the big bomb? the ticking time bomb that maybe we're not addressing. What's the elephant in the room? You know, why haven't I asked that tough question? Because, you know, it could end the sales cycle or it could propel it forward. And those are the types of things that the good reps ask. And yeah, sometimes it'll stop their deal, but at least they'll get out quickly and they won't waste another, you know, three, four months on something where it comes out then and then they've wasted all this time and energy, and they still don't have the deal.
0: Yeah, this is going to feel like I'm bouncing around, Susan, so I apologize for that. But as you said all this to me, can, can you go back? Is there a time in your career that you just kind of feel like you had that magic moment that, that that's when things just became clear to you? You had it figured out and, and success started?
1: Um, well, I'll, I think, you know, I had had. I had had some success early on. Um, There were moments in each of my roles, right, where I kind of had those breakout moments. Um, I remember, I'll I'll go back to being a a cold caller, my first gig at, at Eloqua, and I remember going in there. And being like so happy I got my first paycheck. I was like, wow, this is great. I got I got this many ops and this is what clothes and this and that. And then I remember one of my colleagues walking by and being like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got that many ops too. You want to see my paycheck? And it was double mine. And I just remember being like, how did you do that? Teach me. And And I think for that, that was one of those moments where it was like no ego you're doing something better than I am I want to learn it and I want to do that and whatever I'm doing I'm not going to do anymore right and I think throughout my career I've always I think success leaves clues right and I I always look at who in the organization who in the industry who is doing things better than I am or who do I admire or who is who is has a process that I I maybe am not doing, but that seems to be really working that I can, you know, borrow borrow from and learn from because you'll get there way faster than if you try to figure it all out on your own, right? So, you know, find a mentor, get somebody that's really good at what they do and spend time with them, understand how they do it, um, find ways to help them and make their life better because at the end of the day, you'll be helping yourself in your career, so you know that was you know that example when I came out and moved to the Bay Area, you know coming from inside sales, now being an enterprise rep, I was like man, you know this this is different. What do I do well hey let's look at the successful people around me hey guys, can I can I tag along and see what you're doing in meetings right? Can I understand um, you know maybe listen to some of your calls at later stages and really start to get a sense of how are other people doing it and you don't have to use everything you see but it really does help with that learning curve so that you can be you know the best rep much faster than having to wait you know five years to finally get there right so uh, it's really you know learn from others um success leaves clues and and find mentors you don't have to just have one you know, Find many of them. And you don't even have to ask them to be your mentor. Just kind of spend time with them, right? Because you'll learn through osmosis what they're doing. And, and people inherently, they, they do want to learn and, uh, and help people learn and teach. It's just part of human nature. And so um, I think that's really helped me along the way.
0: Well, Susan, I know that success you know, doesn't come without failure. So what about the other side of the story? Is there a time where you know things just didn't go your way and, and you just failed?
1: Yeah, I, I remember when I moved out to the Bay Area, um, it was like um, end, close to end of year, right? And so when, when they split a territory, most reps will hold on to their ops and you get like a fresh patch with like nothing in it, you know, It's it's it, there was like no pipeline, nothing. And so I, I chased a couple tennis balls. I chased one all the way to Arkansas to a company that had no reason to even look at marketing automation but hey you know maybe maybe this is something that could work for me uh maybe maybe oh but there's potential they want to talk to me right maybe maybe this will maybe this will be something and it was just one of those colossal waste of time it was a bad fit from the get-go it was something i should have disqualified and it was something that ended up you know i i didn't hit that's that year was the only year i didn't hit president's club was the year i moved and it's because i focused on the wrong accounts because they were there and they were talking to me right instead of saying well these guys are never going to buy anything let me disqualify and let me go and find a real pipeline which (laughs) from then on i always did but but that was i just remember it was like literally that's the blip in my president's club um succession that that year that had
0: to have been 2010 it was (laughs) i'm sitting here looking again i I, i've got your list of accolades here and i see that one little uh spot where there's no banner so uh, not trying to pour salt on the wound i just i appreciate you greatly uh sharing that that story uh, with me susan we're going to take a quick break and we come back it's going to be time for the money round so you don't go away and sales tuners you don't go away either we'll be right back Sales tuners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010, and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Linda Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to octave.com. That's o c t i v.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. Money, money, money. We are back and it's time for the money round. Susan, are you ready for the money round? I am ready. Good deal. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional?
1: From normal to exceptional. Um, First thing that comes to mind is I don't, in my career, I've never waited for other people to do things for me. So, for example, you know, if, if I needed a certain presentation and it didn't exist, I would create it if we yeah, i didn't like the proposal we had and, and and it wasn't working i would create a new proposal methodology i would you know text i ping them i drive to their office i i wouldn't i wouldn't wait around for anyone it was always like let's go let's be fast let's be proactive and if you stay proactive i think you can constantly be a step ahead in your career and your clients and prospects appreciate it because you're, you're always kind of giving them the things that they need before they even ask for them.
0: If you were to start over today in sales, Susan, what would you spend the next 30 days doing?
1: I would figure out what I was passionate about. Because in sales, you can learn a lot of things. You can learn how to be patient, do discovery, negotiate. But what you can't fake is passion. And it's really easy to sell something that you're passionate about. Um, I got lucky and fell into it, but a lot of people don't, and that's why they end up jumping around from company to company because they just—they're they, not feeling what they're selling, and, and your prospects—they can sense that, and it's not going to be good for your numbers.
0: Which phrase describes you best, and why? I love to win, or I hate to lose.
1: Definitely, I love to win. Um, I love to win. Um, you know, I have a sports mentality, and so I do learn from my losses right? And I think that's important, but you can't dwell on them and you can't beat yourself up about them. And, and, but I'm, I think what I'm really fueled by is my wins. And the more people that are involved in the win, the better, right? So if you're winning, I I want as many people around me that are winning as well, because the feeling, it just feels that much better. I remember Some of my best selling years was when literally every single one of my teammates went to club. It just, you feed off that energy and and I I love to win. I think that's, it's, it's the best feeling out there.
0: I love it. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others?
1: Um, The challenger sale uh, for sure. I think, you know, that's definitely um, something that if, if you haven't read, I would read it. Um, I would reread it. I would, you know, ingrain it into your brain. Um, and then um, I'll add another one. Uh, Never alone. I think is really good. Just it helps um, you kind of put into perspective how important relationships are and in um, connecting with people.
0: Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Susan's suggestion of never eat alone for free, head on over to SalesTuners.com slash book and there you can sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's sales slash book. Susan, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today?
1: Biggest piece of advice, I would say work on your state of mind. And, and making it the best state of mind possible because everything else will be a lot easier for you, right? So if you're at a peak state and you're thinking positively and all of a sudden things and obstacles that are in your way, you'll start to create solutions for them because you're in the right state of mind. And um, I would say if you're in that right state and you could find a mentor and learn from them, I think that, that you will excel in your career a lot faster. Than if you were negative, tried to do it all on your own, and you had a big ego about it. So just learn from people, be positive, and um, and you will grow.
0: I'll get it's you inevitable. out of. Here. I'll get you out of here on this one, Susan. Uh, how could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show?
1: I'm very active on LinkedIn, so they could just shoot me a message. I'd be happy to connect.
0: Good deal, Susan. Thank you so much for this. I've really enjoyed our time today.
1: Yes, so did I. Thank you very much, Jim.
0: I knew Susan was amazing after our very first conversation after the compendium acquisition. And once I got to meet her in person, I just realized how infectious her attitude of success really was. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, understand disc profiles. Contrary to popular belief, prospects don't buy because they were made to understand a product or service. They buy when they feel understood. To truly connect with your customer, it's helpful to understand how they best receive information and then tailor your pitch to meet their style. Number two, keep your energy level up. Things aren't always going to go your way. You're going to get rejected. You're going to lose a big deal at the last minute. You have to diligently work at controlling your mind frame and avoid the roller coaster of emotions. Thus, don't get too high when things are going great and don't get too low when things go awry. Number three, don't be single-threaded. Especially in large deals or enterprise accounts, there's always more than one buyer, even if you don't know who the other person is. Map out the organization to get an idea of all the different influencers. Once you've identified them, figure out who on your team you can match up as the counterpart inside your prospect. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at salestuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right, I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there.